out of Oklahoma City. You're listening to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where movies are more than just 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn. The Good Trash Genre Cast is a member of the Good Trash Media family. For more information, go to goodtrashmedia.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Owner Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and we discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film studies course. This week's film, we continue our Shocktober marathon of horror, and we look at the film It Follows. Blessed same to you, uh, same aim to you, Dustin. Uh, to you as well, sir. We are in the season of The Witch. It is uh, good to be back with you all. I be the Witch of the Wood, and I am so glad <laughs> to be here. We're not we're not doing that movie today. <laughs> no, we are absolutely not. Um, we are talking about It Follows, which is a uh, grammar documentary about conjunctions and punctuation. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> which designates Conjunction, that. junction, what's your function? function? Hooking up verbs and phrases and clauses. And there you go. It's a good trash singing cla- cast. And uh, we're going to move right along and talk about this film. But before we get any further, we want to uh, identify the disembodied voices speaking to your brain via your headset, computer speakers, car speakers, or whatever modus uh, you use uh, to listen to our show across the table, staring at me uh, with those lovely, lovely dark eyes. Who are you, sir? Hey, it's me, Dalton Stewart. I missed you all very much last week. Uh, I have just this to say about The Shadow of the Vampire, which I did watch, uh, but unfortunately was in Toledo, Ohio when you recorded. Um, So I will say only this, Willem Dafoe is bae, and that movie is just okay. Okay, Okay. I rhymed because I'm very clever. Yes, isn't he, though? No. no. But don't encourage him, dear listener. Um, by all means, please do not. Um, my left, ma'am, who are you? My name's Alexander Bohannon, and I have an idea. <laughs> it got away. <laughs> it would been really great if you could have queued up a fart right there. Fair enough. <laughs> I can't fart on cue. I can burp on cue, not fart. Oh, okay. Um, skills. God, I, I wish I could do that. Wow. Either one. We're moving right along to my right, sir. Who are you? I am Arthur Gordon, and when I was a little girl, my parents would not let me go south of eight miles. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag blessed. Living on this eight-mile road. <laughs> my name's Dustin hey, Sells. Hey, well, hold on, Dustin. Real, before you g- get too far into things, Arthur, uh, how you doing? Are your knees weak? My palms are sweaty. Is there vomit on your sweater already? It's mom's spaghetti. He's nervous, but on the surface, he looks calm Calm and ready ready to drop bombs, but he keeps keeps on forgetting forgetting what he wrote down. Okay, I'm done. It is the music the moment. Um, We're moving (laughs) right along, Um, and uh, my name is Dustin Sells, and um, hey, uh, Dalton, remember that time we found all those porno magazines outside the pizzeria? Yeah, we read them out uh, in uh, Greg's lawn. Yeah, that was not a good idea. (laughs) That was a bad idea. We We thought it was hilarious. We were a bunch of stupid kids. Mom freaked out. She did. Um, we are so <laughs> glad. Did you guys ever find like loose pornography when you were kids? Yeah. I did too. Okay. I didn't know if that was like... Because that, that experience in that movie, I was like, dude, I totally had that happen. It was always like the super soft stuff. It was always like Playboys and stuff like that. That's weird. Like, okay, that's the thing that I didn't really understand. I, I think in the age of the internet, that doesn't happen anymore. Uh, no, yeah. no. Print, print pornography is probably not a thing, I would assume. Um, but no... I mean, it exists. I'm, I'm sure. talking about like the idea that you know paul's in the attic and he just picks up someone else's porn mag and just like just off the kleenexes and is like yeah i think i'm gonna peruse this <laughs> that was that was a very kind of weird moment and i was also like why did hugh slash jimmy like hide this photo in the porn jimmy's relationship with porn seems very specific 
I was I was filled with the Holy Ghost from the womb. I don't know what you're talking about with Kleenexes and pictures. Um, also, he's got doesn't a, make any sense. He's got to a me. porn stash in his ghost hideout. Yeah. <laughs> Stop disguise. spending so much time jerking off and ch- try to go get laid, man. You got to pass that ghost on. Also, he's got like all seventies EC horror comics, like all over that his was windows, dope as fuck, which though. is weird. We'll talk more about that. Cool. But anyway, we're going to talk about this movie. Guys, we've got to warn you, though, because if you've tuned into the Good Trash Honor cast for the very first time, we need to tell you this is not a review show. It is an analysis show. And that means we will be spoiling this film, but not yet. Oh, we'll give you a brief break. The way we'll do this is we'll have a synopsis from The Voice of the Cinema. Then we'll have our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. We'll play a game in which they, we can possibly spoil the film in question and other films, but we try to keep that very, very mild. And then once we get down to business and do our analysis... All spoiler embargoes are off. You have been warned. So, without any further ado, Mr. Arthur Gordon, voice of the cinema, let's hear that synopsis. A young woman is followed by an unknown supernatural force after a sexual encounter. It's herpes. That is a close encounter of the fourth kind. (laughs) Wow. Uh, yes, indeed, dear listener. Uh, we are going to be taking a look at the, this. The third, the third kind is just hand stuff. Is it, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's really good. Is, is that like third base? Yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So I guess that makes sense somehow. Okay. Wow. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, we are having a good time today. This is the good trash Dustin Blushes cast. And, uh, Dustin Blushes. Dustin Blushes cast. And uh, yeah, fun times will be had by a lot. It's funny you say that because your hair would lead me to believe you were a porn star in 1984. <laughs> He, okay, listener, you can't see him right now. This man looks like Greg from this movie. I shit you not. He looks like young, old, old Greg. Okay. <laughs> old Greg! Greg. Hey, old Greg. I got him in China. Ever, Sorry. Ever, <laughs> you ever no. drink Paley's out of a shoe? <laughs> we have never talked about this show, but the fact that we all know it is delightful. Back, back in the archives, there's some old Greg uh, drops in the there's uh, some original old, episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, in the old, olden days. I'll tell you what you really look like is young Sam Elliott from Roadhouse, which we talked about a few weeks ago. Uh, well, I like that better. Yeah, that's really what you got going on, and I fucking love it. Or tall Tom Cruise from Last Samurai. <laughs> oh. Okay, so Dustin, I'm sorry I derailed you. Uh, you just talked about your blushing, and I know that's a lie. Yeah. Uh, okay, I, I don't even know what's happening anymore. Oh yeah, we're going to reviews. That's what we're going to do. What? Hey Dalton, review the movie now. Yeah. Okay. I guess I will. Um, I really like this film a lot. Uh, it was actually on my top ten list last year. Uh, it's credited as a 2014 release because it had a showing at the 2014 festivals but it did not get its uh, wide release until last year. Um, I was a huge fan of this movie when it came out, and I have not seen it since then. I, I saw it the one time I saw it in theaters. Really enjoyed it a lot. Um, this go-around, I, I like it less um, just because I'm aware of the film. Uh, you know, I know what it's doing to me. I, every moment, I'm like, I remember the beats of the film very well. So, <clears throat> you know, I know what's happening. I So it doesn't work quite as well for me because I have more time to think about the film. Um, and here's the deal. If you are somebody that gets really hung up on plot details and mythology details, this movie's going to drive you fucking bonkers. You're going to be thinking about, why can't they get on a boat? Um, what about airplanes? Do airplanes work? Uh, you, th- these are the things that are going to be driving you crazy the entire time. Does a blowjob count? These are the things that are going to drive you crazy when you watch this movie. Um, and having watched it before, these are things that I, I started to think about because I wasn't that wrapped up in the movie. I was watching it in my living room as opposed to a dark theater. I had had more time to kind of digest on the movie, so I did get distracted a bit by, by these these questions. But I think overall, the the tone and the atmosphere of the film works so well that it does a really good job of putting those kind of concerns towards the back of your mind. Um, I think the film is incredibly well shot. Uh, it's 
is really kind of inconspicuously showy in ways that I like. Um, the the great shot um, where Jay played by McCabe and Rowe, uh, the, there's the camera mounted to the front of the, the wheelchair is a really great moment. Um, but the, a moment I actually like more um, is even more subtle <clears throat> is when they go to the high school to f- get more info on the guy that gave her the ghost. Um, there's this really great 360 pan around this hallway. Um, and it happens so slowly you don't realize it's happening until like the very end. You're like, oh, shit, we, we were coming around this whole hallway. Uh, super cool. I really like that moment. Uh, I also, there's some really fun shots in the pool towards the end of the movie. Um, again, without getting too spoilery, uh, I don't think the third act of this film works that well. I think th- I think the first act of this film is its strongest moment. Um, I think it's a, that first act is absolutely astounding. I, I love every second of it, and I even I like most of the second act as well. I just think this is a difficult film to end, and I think. Uh, well, I I love ambiguous endings. I don't think this film has an ambiguous ending. It just has an ending, um, and it's an okay one. I, I like it fine, but I don't love it. Uh, but overall, if you have not, if you've been listening to the hype on this movie, I do strongly recommend you check it out. Um, with the caveat that critics love this film, uh, loved it when it was released, and audiences did not respond super strongly to it. So I will give that caveat to you. Um, this is not a general public film. I think a lot of people probably won't care for it. Uh, I think uh, hardcore horror folks are going to like it quite a bit, although I know some that don't. Um, and I think people who are into, you know, uh, artistically, aesthetically artistic film, uh, that with definite genre ties. I I mean, if that sounds like it's up your alley, this is a fucking movie for you. And, uh, before I leave, I do want to shout out the, the really great, I think the performance in this movie are really fun. Uh, I like the cast a lot. Uh, The kid that plays, not Jay, um, Paul, uh, was on a United States of Terror with Tony Collette and uh, Brie Larson, uh, and John Corbett. Uh, I love that actor. I, I love like watching him get older and see these other roles that he's doing. I think McKay Monroe is great. Uh, we talked about her when we talked about the guest last year. Great performances and the score in this film by Disaster Piece is fucking aces. I, I, I mean, this movie would not work without that score. Uh, and that is what I have to say about the film, Dustin. Hey, Dalton. Thanks. Appreciate that. Uh, very, very, very much. Uh, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you have to say in terms of your review? I think it follows as an absolute delight. I, I think David Robert Mitchell uh, has built a very taut, very tense narrative. Uh, two of the key elements I'm always looking for in this type of movie uh, are the stakes being raised and is the tension being ratcheted. Uh, Absolutely. And I think this film delivers especially in spades on that second part. Uh, and the stakes are raised pretty early, uh, quickly early on, and seem to kind of plateau for me, and that probably gives into that, that third act problem we have. I was just thinking about that, Arthur. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the problem. Yeah. And like many others, I do think the third act gets real wonky. Um, and it's, it's okay, but it's it, and it doesn't bring the overall do- score down for me, but it, it I think what you say is right. I mean, I don't know if they knew how to go about ending this film. Yeah, I, and I think that's part of the problem. Again, I, I'm with you. I, I don't think it diminishes my intense love for the uh, first two-thirds of the film, but yeah. it definitely is a problem. Uh, my only other complaint, I, I'm going to disagree with Dalton on the performances. I think most of them are pretty uh, wooden at times. Really? Or unconvincing. Yeah, Mike is fun, uh, but I don't really care for Paul. I don't really care for the other two girls or Greg, you know. Uh, and those are really the only they have, they have a few speaking moments. parts in this movie. Yeah, but for the most part, I, I, I just don't know that they do it for me here that's fair um but yeah the, this is uh and lastly this is movie has the best uh use of and best score uh, of any film i've heard in a long time because disaster piece is just killing it i, I love so the score good. it's so good all right well thank you very much for that mr arthur gordon miss alexander bohannon 
What do you have to say about this film? To echo something Dalton brought up in his review, um, for people that do like artistically contemplated and stylistic genre picks um, and not necessarily horror fans, this movie's for you. I can attest to that as that kind of person myself. I don't know. I, th- I think, <clears throat> I mean, I, I de- there are some uh, diehard horror folk that didn't respond super strongly to this film, but right. I think I think a horror people in general will, will oh, dig it. N- that's not what I was saying. I was saying that. Oh, it's definitely for. I got you. Yeah, I, what I'm saying is that it's definitely for horror fans, but it's also if you like just genre films that have style, then you will also like this movie. Gotcha. It's not a it's the fact that it's horror doesn't turn me off which is i mean the fact that i wanted to go see a horror movie in you know in a theater and pay my own money to go see it alex i've got bad news for you buddy i at this point i think you're a horror fan anyway so the fact that this film is eerie and it's it's thought-provoking and it just has all this really great stylistic components um it really speaks to me And, and i have to say for I think everyone's criticisms are valid. Yes, the performances can be really wooden at times. I don't feel like they they don't work quite as well for me as they do for Dalton, but they don't they are not as bad as they are for Arthur. So it's somewhere in the middle for me. Um, I think that also the third act just totally falls apart, which is sad. Like I, I I mean now that I know where that third act went because I also saw this in theaters, hadn't seen it since. I've been meaning to pick it up forever. Um, we go to the pool, and, I, and I'm and i trying to... Oh, so did they get this idea from the boat? Why did they go this route? Because I know Paul said, I have this idea. What was... What was the idea? Well, do he, you know the idea? I do, but I, let's... I mean, let's get through review, and then we'll talk about yeah, it. Yeah, I get the general idea, but how did they think that was going to work? Like, that's stupid. Anyway. I agree. So, uh, that all to say, the the third act, just kind of whatever. And I, and I actually like the ending, and I'll tell you why in my analysis, because I think it has a lot to do with the way I read the film, so... Thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohannon. Uh, what I would have to say about the film is I do like it very much. It is firmly within that genre we call retro horror, in which it feels very much like a throwback to uh, films of a bygone era uh, that are horror films themselves. And it also is, uh, in a way, self-reflexive and self-aware of itself as a horror film, rather than having some sort of raving killer that's pursuing uh, several characters. It's only pursuing one character. They're mm-hmm. aware of it, but they're also putting together that cast of teenagers uh, that is always uh, sort of part of the Scooby-Doo squad that um, follows all of these sort of horror films. And so it does that. I think the aesthetics are very, very pleasing. As Arthur mentioned, I do find some of the performances to be woody, but I also find that to be a genre trope. Yeah, and I was wondering sort of that myself. Necessary to it. That, that, that teenagers are terrible. They're barely human. Um, and I think these barely human uh, sort of teenagers and acting in a barely human ways is, in a, in a strange way, quite realistic. Because um, I have a near teenager um, in my life, and um, yeah, he doesn't act like a human. And uh, so that's pretty normal. And uh, yeah. I would just give that that. Well, and going back to the teenageriness of of those humans, uh, it kind of reminds me of how what a common critique of Buffy and shows like Buffy, Veronica Mars, Angel, like all these teenagers, they're speaking the way that we think we spoke and the way we wish we spoke um, when we were in teen- in high school and stuff. We wanted to be that smart and that quippy. I, I think I would rather hear that uh, than the way I actually spoke, though. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's more pleasing, you know, yeah, for that, sure. The, the 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 audio pleasure, the aural pleasure, if you oh. will, of that is 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 far greater. But um, aural with a U, guys, um, just stay with me. And but that being I don't said, care how you spell it, pal. 
No. <laughs> he, he says as he deep throats the microphone. Oh my goodness, this is this is going to be the good trash bless show. I'm yeah, just telling I'm you having right now. so much fun. Yeah, Dalton really is. Um, I am having less fun. I just missed you guys so much. Uh, I'm going to make it. But it, it, again, the aesthetics are pleasing. Uh, the uh, visuals and the music work together in a way that I find to be very very interesting. I think the conversation with Detroit as a city is also very very fascinating. And uh, without the, being too on the nose or in in your face about it, right? Yeah. And also it's sexual politics uh, provides uh, ground for a conversation and therefore I find it to be very very valuable as a film and one of the better horror films I've seen in recent years so that is what I would have to say in terms of review of this particular film but what I want to say guys now it's it's time to play the game time to play the game time to play the game <laughs> Because It Follows has such a great score, our game this week is our favorite horror film scores. Uh, that's right. Favorite horror film scores brought to you by It Follows. It Follows. Come on and get down with your bad self. <laughs> All right. Or give me, give me uh, that uh, sweet, sweet synth, baby. All right. <laughs> so this movie's got a really, really fun sort of 80s synthy sort of score and uh, is very, very fun. And there are many iconic scores throughout the histories of the hallowed halls of horror to steal a phrase from another podcast. That is wonderful. If you know what I'm talking about, listen more. Um, but I'm going to go to you first, Arthur Gordon. What do you have to say? What's your favorite horror scores? I'm going to throw out Jaws as my first. I think Jaws is just, I mean, it's obviously iconic. That's a great score. It it does so much. to And, I mean, that's John Williams. He's the master of manipulation uh, when it comes to uh, music. And I think Jaws does that so well, building that foreboding sense. When you think of it, do you think of Billy, uh, rather, uh, Bill Murray as Danny yeah. Ocean uh, singing Jaws, the words to Jaws? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious. No. No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Me neither. Saturday Night Live sketch, right? Is that? It's yeah. Saturday Night Live bit. Yeah. Um, but I, I just think it's a great score. I mean, it's all over pop culture. Everybody knows it. And I think, you know, for something, you know, a lot of the uh, movies we'll mention in this game have probably, you know, are uh, just pop culture icons that everybody recognizes. And I think, you know, there's some, you know, some value to that, that notoriety. Uh, the next one I want to mention is Halloween. I love that score. I think uh, it's kind of echoed a lot here oh, uh, in sure. Follows. Uh, but John Carpenter just does some great work. He does some great stuff with the synth uh, in all of his movies, I think. I would say that is not true. Assault on Precinct 13 would beg to differ. Yes, correct. Yeah, I know. I, I remember. Uh, the way In the way, way back machine. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I think Halloween's just got a great score, and I like it a lot. And I think it, you know, all, a great score has to add and, uh, you know, Without deep, distracting. Deep, yeah, it doesn't distract, but also, you know, it deepens that tension or it deepens those feelings. And, you know, as I said with John Williams, I mean, I, he's the master of that. Uh, I think Dustin kind of gets a little too fed up with his uh, manipulation sometimes. I do. But, uh, I, I, but I, not enough. I think there's something to it. Um, and then finally, I want to I mention uh, Bernard Herrmann's score for Psycho. Again, iconic. Throwing back that curtain, uh, those violin screeching, and it is just beautiful. It's a, it's a great score all the way through. Uh, I love the the motif as it plays throughout that film. Uh, it builds that foreboding. It builds that dread, and it's just great work. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much for those picks, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Also for the pick of Halloween, which is the best ringtone pick I think we're probably going to select <laughs> uh, in the course of this particular game. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, what are your selections? 
I don't know. I might have some pretty good ringtone picks, uh, especially um, I'm going to cheat just a sneeze. I was and... only speaking in anticipation. I oh. really, I don't know. I mean, you might beat it. Absolutely. I don't really care. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my first pick is going to be the Twilight Zone because how iconic is that theme music? I started a watch of all the Twilight Zone episodes on Hulu and it's really interesting to hear that score and how it changes over time. My second pick is going to be uh, a film we talked about last year that also has the same lead actress, The Guest. Another <laughs> the worst high five on air, dear listener. The worst high five I've ever given, I'm sorry. Um it it oh sorry. Oh no, I was just going to say it's interesting cuz it's kind of a found score, right? Yeah, it's it's Is a, it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. it's all soundtrack. It, yeah, it's all soundtrack and it has um uh, and has the well, there are some. That's true. You're right. Like uh, artistically, Clan of Zymox guys. Clan of Zymox. Check them out. They're great. Yeah. Um, another one that uh, these are all so in this family of of music. The the family of like this 80s esque throwback synth uh, horror score. Um, another one that I recently p- purchased over the summer was Neon Demon. That movie has a mm. great score um, and is just as it can play synth hardball i feel with uh this movie it follows and last but not least uh a timeless classic and one that i've been listening to on repeat lately is the exorcist yeah that score them sweet sweet tubular bells oh my Mm -hmm. gosh that's so good movie and that score it's just it's perfect I, i i cannot express how amazing it is all right. Well, thank you very much for that, Ms. Alexander Bohan and Mr. Dalton Stewart. What are your selections? Uh, I'm going to throw out one that uh, people call Silence of the Lambs a horror movie, and they're wrong. It is a thriller. It is a suspense film. It is not a horror movie, but I love it to pieces, um, and I like to call it a horror movie when we talk about good horror movies. Uh, it's relevant, and uh, so it is a little bit of a cheap. Howard Shore's score for that film is fucking good. I- say you could say it's a horror film so i, think I called the there, guest there, there's greatness horror. for conversation there yeah all right if you want to dustin that's fine uh i'm I, alex is probably you're right though. i mean i think if you're gonna call the guest a horror film it's there there it's kind of in that weird like the guest has like one foot in action one foot in horror and uh, a third uh, leg in thriller um <laughs> and i i think thank you arthur uh and i i think uh the Sounds of Lambs is kind of nebulous in categorization in that same way, but the score, how's uh, that fucking score is so good. It's so good, and they, it's just it's put in the movie in all the right places and left out in all the right places. I love every second of it. Um, I also want to give a shout out to the guest because I always appreciate a score that is mostly used from pre-existing music. I I find when when you're able to find music that's obscure enough that's not going to distract anybody except for a couple of nerds. Uh, I think that's really fun. I'm looking at Dustin when I said when you're only going to distract a couple of nerds. Uh, Sisters of Mercy, right, buddy? Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I love that kind of thing, though. I, and I, there's so much music in the guest that I was shocked was not made just for the movie uh, because it works so well in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's something I really appreciate about it. And the last thing I, I want to mention is, uh, again, as with Alex's, The Exorcist, it is kind of a classic one, but the, the score to The Shining is fucking insane mm-hmm. Espe- i mean especially even from the very opening credits like it is just giving you this haunting deeply upsetting music that uh, your brain will not ever be able to shake 
Very, very good. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. As moderator of the show, I always have the misfortune of going last and uh, mentioning things that have already been mentioned uh, by my dear and illustrious co-host. And so, yes, indeed, The Exorcist and those tubular bells absolutely is something that I would think about. And also Psycho from Alfred Hitchcock uh, slash Bernard Herman is also uh, absolutely wonderful and worthy of your time. I want to give a shout out for just a like momentary theme in music. I want to give a shout out to the minor seventh note in Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, there, there is something about that particular use of that particular sort of form of the uh, pentonic scale, and I, I'm not going to get too musically nerdy for you right now, but um, it's pretty fantastic. You're adorable, Pops. Okay. Keep, keep going. Oh, gosh. Uh, so there, there's that moment that's great. And then lastly, I would just name one thing that has been mentioned so far, and that is the Goblin soundtrack for Suspiria. I had a feeling you were going to go with some GI stuff, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty good. And it's, well, and even some of that GI, uh, I know Thing. the Thing is a film that I like a lot more than you, but uh, Ennio Morcone brings some of that GI type shit to does, the thing. absolutely. Yeah. And so check those things out. Dear listener, your iTunes list just got a little longer, we hope. And uh, we've done this for you. But we want to have a conversation with you all about this. We love movies anyway, and we like talking about them anyway because we're actually all friends. In fact, it took us forever just to get started recording today because we just like talking to each other about movies. I hadn't seen most of you in uh, like two weeks, so... We had a lot of wanted, catching up to have. I to chat. I was actually faking. I don't like any of you. But, fuck, um, you fuck yourself in the face, you <laughs> shithead. Makes, makes sense. Uh, but we want to have this conversation carry out on further into the interwebs via those magical means that we all know as social media. And so we want to talk about that just a little bit. Miss Alexander Bohannon, can you tell us about the means by which the conversation can continue on the internet? Sure thing, Dustin. You can talk to us about horror movies or anything in particular on facebook.com forward slash good trash media. You can find us on Instagram at good trash media. You can find us also on our website, goodtrashmedia.com. And you can find us at Patreon at patreon.com forward slash GTM. Dalton, there yet remains a means of social media. Speak about it, please. Oh, buddy, does there. If you would like to solicit me for ghost sex, you can find us on Twitter <laughs> at good underscore trash. Uh, that is the Twitter handle for Good Trash Media, not just this program. So if there's any shows that you have questions about, that is a place to go. Uh, finally, uh, we would love dearly with all of uh, our hearts and minds if you would rate and review us on iTunes. It would mean the world to us. That I cannot tell you how much that helps us in terms of visibility and things like that. So if you don't want to be the only weirdo that listens to the show a good place to make sure other people know about it is to go to uh, iTunes and rate and review us there. Um, please and thank you. Uh, I want to give a shout out to a very special listener um, who I blocked on Twitter a long time ago, um, and that is Sam Davis. Uh, I made a promise on the long lost, uh, we, we talked about Blair Witch on Back to the Movies and unfortunately lost that audio file, but I made a promise on that episode that I'm going to carry over to this show. And that is if Sam Davis will rate and review us on iTunes, I will unblock him on Twitter. Sam, I'll do it. You piece of shit. I will <laughs> on un- his personal Twitter. On my, you know, I, yeah, we didn't block him on the the show, the uh, the Good Trash, Trash Media Twitter. Twitter. I personally yeah. blocked him. He pissed me <laughs> off. He pissed me off, and I blocked him. Uh, but now he's a fan of the show, and that's really adorable, and I appreciate all of our fans. So if you will do that, Sam, I will unblock you. Um, I will let you back into my life and into my heart and into other places. So do it. 
Please. Sam is actually a very, very nice guy. Who's I've never met him. Also, an internet troll a he little bit, and he, and he knows that. And so, yes, uh, that all makes. I once sense. said that I would like to have everybody that's a self-described shit poster or troll line up and fight me uh, in um, height <sighs> order, um, just so I could uh, have that experience. But uh, no, I will put all those feelings aside if we can get a, a rating out of it. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, thank you, Sam, for your listenership. Um, also, we have to thank some of our sponsors for their sponsorship. So let's stay tuned now for a moment uh, and a word from our sponsors. That chill running up and down your spine isn't your imagination. It's Loot Crate's October theme, Horror. We're taking over 40 years of creepy, campy, bloody icons and putting them in this month's crate. Channel your best final girl with items from The Walking Dead, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Halloween. You have until the 19th of October at 9 p.m. Pacific to subscribe and receive that month's crate. And when the cutoff happens, that's it. It's over. Make sure to head to www.lootcrate.com forward slash good trash and enter code good trash, one word, to save $3 off of any new subscription today. Hey, thanks so much, you nice people at Loot Crate and elsewhere and otherwise. We appreciate your sponsorship. Let's get down to business, though, guys. That's right, dear listener, and that business in question is analysis. And if there was ever a film ripe for analysis for the Good Trash Media Network, it's this one. And I am very, very excited to hear what my dear co-hosts have to say. I'm going to go around the table in the clockwise fashion at this point. So to my left, Miss Alexander Bohannon, what analysis do you bring? So today I'm going to be talking to you about sex and specifically what the sex and the it mean in this film. So a, a one popular discussion whenever contemplating it follows, especially on forum posts and think pieces on the internet, is the concept that um, what our main character Jay receive, receives from Hugh, is that his name? Uh, Hugh slash Jimmy. Hugh, Hugh slash Jimmy. Jim. Uh, Hugh Jimmy. Yeah, huge Jimmy. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh I'm sorry. From Huge Jimmy. Uh, the, the thing that he that she gets from Huge Jimmy is, and the it is re- represents an STD. Well, I do think that there is some validity to that reading. I feel like what she actually is receiving and what is embodied by the it is that she is in... Blah, 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 In the subtext of the film, she's actually sexually assaulted. And now this is where I'm going to get into trigger warnings. Please, if you have, um, if you do not want me, I'm not going to talk in graphic terms about sexual assault, but I am going to talk about things that might make you. uh, We're going to talk about it at length. Yes. So um, I would definitely tune out now. Skip forward. This will unpleasantly push buttons for you. You will probably want to skip to Arthur talking, actually. Sure thing. So the United States government actually has a list of symptoms for uh, PTSD that is um, triggered by sexual assault, which includes repeated thoughts of the assault, memories and nightmares, avoidance of thoughts, feelings and uh, situations uh, related to the assault, um, negative changes in thoughts and feelings, and di- in, in difficult uh, 
difficult, blah, sorry, I can't read. An increased arousal, for example, difficulty sleeping, concentrating, jumpiness, irritability. So what I'm going to propose to you is that in her, the it in this movie is actually her, a physical manifestation of the, of her PTSD from being sexually assaulted, which is in, I mean, the whole chloroform thing. I would say that anytime someone is fostered, um, people have informed consent, they have sex, but one person does not have the full knowledge that this other person has. And I think that person has been violated. Well, and that's Alex and uh, you and I were talking a little about this before we recorded. We, we don't mean literally that she uh, and Hugh had unconsensual sex. What we specifically mean is there was a very important detail he left out about having sex with him. Yeah, that uh, she would be followed around uh, by a physical manifestation uh, or sl- slash um, she would be followed around by this physical manifestation of uh, demonic horror. So... Basically, throughout the rest of the film, she is trying to mitigate these symptoms, and she's experiencing the symptoms of having undergone sexual ass- assault. She's she's chronically depressed. She can't sleep. She can't eat. She's irritable. Um, she is trying to run away from her problems, and she's trying all these different coping strategies and, and never finding one that's truly successful. And she is getting uh, triggered by all these different situations. You know, she walks into you know, one in one case after she um, gives, tries to mitigate and numb her feelings by having sex with uh, Greg. She uh, walks in and is, you know, triggered with this imagery of, you know, having this vision of his mother having sex with him (laughs) until he dies. Yeah. (laughs) Ew. So. I know. Really upsetting. Very, very very deeply upsetting. upsetting. And so in doing all these different coping strategies, she not doesn't really find one that is truly successful. And so the weight of what happened to her keeps following her around. Now, this is where we get to, I mean, yeah, the third act is messy and I don't, I'm not going to go, I don't think that, you know, I'm not going to go into the logistics of what can the pool mean or, or anything like that. But I do think that the true ending, which she has sex with uh, Phil, her friend. Paul. She has six, sex with Paul, her friend, and then, um, so whenever you have sex with someone, God damn, Paul is a thirsty boy. He is. Shit. <laughs> that kid. He ne- could not calm it he down. He wants that sweet triangle. Yeah, it's- uh, Boom, Phil Jackson. Yeah, she, uh, that, that did make me feel a little weird, the fact that she just uh, experienced this violating- violation and then he's like so you could give it to me i really want you to give it to me give it to me i want to have sex with you that'd he's be great a, you know he's a sweet boy he's uh, he's he, trying his best he's, he's a sweet boy but yeah he's, he doesn't he's thirsty can't think past his own penis uh, and that's just a symptom of that age mm-hmm. um so anyway I, I said all this to say that whenever they do um actually copulate and have have sex and then from the sex they can both see uh the presence of the it I think that's just a a symbol. The reason why I like it is that it is a symbol of the healing process because instead of bottling it up inside that she was hurt and that she was violated, um, she's choosing someone dear to her to help share the burden. And I think that one of the most powerful pictures of this film is the, the two walking away, holding hands as the it is following them. And the fact that it, it shows that this, the it can be dealt with. Um, the fact that someone is sexually assaulted can be dealt with. It will never go away. And it could be 
a long time before it will it could be a long time before you can feel okay again but by sharing the burden it can it can definitely help make you feel more connected to society and less lonely and whenever people are there for you um whether it's a significant other or um family or friends that can help um lift that burden off of you so much so anyway that's that's all i've got to say about that Thank you very much for that, uh, Alex Bohannon. And I want to say, um, as a victim of sexual assault, and I've never spoken about this um, really ever, um, that it absolutely resonates uh, with the experience that people do have, um, that there really are uh, these sort of processes that people go through. And I cannot begin to tell you how invaluable it is to have people that you walk with that know about that, know your story, and are able to uh, help face that darkness with you. And so, um, again, uh, as a person who has done that and uh, made use of those resources, um, I cannot but implore you, dear listener, uh, to do the same. Um, it's, it's, it's impossible, and there is no getting over it. I was moved to tears earlier um, while Alex was talking. And um, I don't want to say a whole lot here and sort of like um, um, railroad this analysis into some other place. Uh, but, dear listener, I, I cannot begin. Uh, if, we, if we do any sort of public service um, as a podcast that, that reckons with film in a uh, thoughtful way and uh, moves through uh, some of the uh, deeper issues that are at work, um, I think that rape reading is absolutely there. It's something I actually did everything I could to avoid uh, thinking about uh, in terms of the film. Um, and that's just, uh, I, you know, it is what it is. I'm just naming what I'm doing. But um, that being said, guys, um, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot. And if you need to find safe people, or if you need to talk to somebody, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it out there. Uh, I'm a person that talks with people. And uh, you can find me on the interwebs. Um, you can find us at the show. We've already talked about social media. And uh, direct message me. Direct message the show. Um, there's no reason why um, you need to go through this alone. And um, I have to say uh, that part of why we do what we do is because of this sort of intermediary power that film has. Um, to have these conversations, to open it up where um, some real talk can begin to happen. And, uh, you know, uh, what happened to me happened 25 years ago, and I'm still dealing with it. I'm still wrestling with it, and uh, it's it's hard, and there are good days and there are bad days, but um, they are uh, less impossible days when you have someone else to hold your hand um, like that film ends. And uh, so uh, make use of that, and um, like I said, I am happy to hold your hand, um, dear listener. And uh, everyone here at the show is as well. Yeah, I, um, I, I don't. None of my experience with this issue are my experiences to share. But um, we're, we're here, man. Yeah. Um, for anybody that wants to talk, seriously. Uh, God damn! Thank you, Alex. That was really wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, we appreciate that. Let's move on though and continue with our analysis uh, because we do have a whole show to finish um, despite uh, what we've done. And Dalton, I know you're um, in, a, in a slightly wonky emotional place. No, it's fine. I'm good. But uh, you're, you're next on the docket. I maybe. suffer through the pain and misery of life uh, by not thinking about it, which is what this movie is about. Hey, Boom. that's a motherfucking segue. Let's get even less heavy than rape. Let's talk about the fact that we're all gonna die. Yeah, so I, I really love Alex's reading a, a lot, and I think Thanks. while it, I love your reading, I, I think what this film also touches on, not only the the pain of, of sexual assault, it, it really does reckon with 
the specter of mortality. Mm. Um, obviously, uh, Kelly, I think is a character's name. Shit, I can't think of her name. No. Jay? No. Jay's, uh, Yura? Nora. Yura. Yura. Yura is reading uh, from Dostoevsky's The Idiot, which is, uh, I mean, several passages specifically about the fact you are going to die. An hour from now, ten minutes from now, you are going to die. Your spirit could leave your body. And I think what it follows kind of reckons with very interestingly to me is sex um, and pleasure in general as a um, a way of avoiding thinking about uh, the imminent doom that is your life. Um, on a long enough timeline, the life expectancy of everyone reaches zero, and there is my obligatory Fight Club reference. But it's something that I, I literally think about every single day of my life. One I, out of every one people dies. And I know that I, I, I literally say that all the time in my life because of you, Dustin. I say that to people every chance it comes up. Um, but it's something I think about a lot uh, in my life. It's, it's something that I, I love when it is reckoned with in film, it is the inevitability of death. And I think what's interesting about this concept and it follows, I mean, the it uh, is certain death. If the it gets too close to you, you will die. Period. End of story. And the way you don't reckon with it is to have sex with someone. Uh, except that doesn't get rid of it because it's still going to come for you eventually. Um, whether it's the ghost because it killed the person you had sex with or you're just going to die anyway. That's the, the, the thing about horror movies is you are running from the inevitable. You are just running. You're not running from death. You're running from the method of your demise. Uh and what I think is interesting is the ways, and again, this is not Dalton poo-pooing uh, casual sex because, hey, fucking light it up and get nasty, guys. Get real weird. Uh, take some pills. Uh, smoke a big fat hog's leg. Just get real crazy with somebody uh, that you feel safe with uh, and put your parts together and see what happens. Um, put your mouth on something, guys. Get weird. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you, Alex. Uh <laughs> So again, I just want to make it clear, I'm not poo-pooing that, because I think that's a beautiful part of being a human being. However, that doesn't change anything about your innate uh, humanness, your innate mortality. Um, it is not a way to go through life. It, it's wonderful and it's fun, but it's not going to change anything. And where I think this kind of nicely dovetail, dovetails with Alex's reading is the thing that will give you some solace in the face of imminent death uh whenever that imminency may, may be is intimacy with someone you legitimately care about somebody you are comfortable and i don't mean this specifically in a romantic way because i i think characterizing uh, jay and paul's relationship as explicitly romantic would be wrong it, it is much more a companionship relationship and that that is the thing that's going to bring you solace as we talked about when we talked about sexual assault the thing that is going to make life whether it be trauma whether it be the the fact that this is all temporary. The thing that's going to give you solace is people that are close to you, whether it's, you know, full of hot, hot, sweaty orgasms or just hanging out and watching a movie. Right. And this goes back to the contrast of the pool scene with the actual ending, you know, scene of this film in in the pool sequence. They're trying to solve a problem that can't be solved. Well, wait, whether it's trauma or mortality. Yeah. They're trying to fight against the un, the insurmountable. The un unfixable they're trying to either solve rape or they're going to just try and solve death either which way um it's gonna have um, like for an instance which of actually death, makes me like the third act a lot more now yeah as we're talking about it. yeah because i mean the plan in itself like now that we can kind of talk about it without with our spoiler tag off we can it 
it is very half-baked. I only, honestly only vaguely know they're trying to electrocute it, I guess. Yeah, that they're they're, gonna, they're <laughs> trying to they're trying to get it into the pool, and they're going to throw a bunch of hair dryers and TVs into the pool after it. They already fucking shot the thing in the face, like at the beach, and then again at the pool. It didn't do anything. So why do we think electricity is going to matter? Like I don't. It's a dumb idea, but that's kind of the point. I think right. now, now as we're talking about, it, I think that is kind of the point. Is that it is a stupid half baked idea. Yeah, and you can't run from it. Yeah, and, and the fact that we talked earlier about the quote, realness of the performances of these teenagers. And I think that might go back to, um, I feel like a, that might have been a plan that I would have come up with had I had a big spoop, spoopy following me around. It's just like, yeah, let's just th- throw a toaster in the pool. We, we're going to fry that thing alive, you know? Um, so, yeah, I, I think that goes to age and inexperience, um, you know, not being ready to accept the fact that this is a problem that can't be fixed or uh, solved or anything like that. Um, but, yeah, I, I like your reading a lot. Well, and th- I mean, there's a lot to talk about with this movie. Sure. Um, you, you touched on the STD thing, and I think there is something interesting with um, the the fact that this you know when this time if we're if we're assuming the, the setting of this film is kind of nebulous in terms of when it takes place and I like that aspect same it. It, it doesn't really there's a an e reader that doesn't seem like an e reader that exists yet but then also all the TVs are old uh, old fashioned uh, the cars are mostly late seventies early eighties cars um, the score this the score I mean all these things kind of harken back to an older age there but there's things that leave us to believe it's modern times and if we are going to assume that this film takes place now. We're assuming that these young people are millennials, and I think millennials are the first generation to learn about sex as part of the conversation uh, about AIDS. Uh, Gen X was already having sex when AIDS started to be talked about, frankly. So I think, you know, millennials, and again, I don't like talking about generations because they're a fucking lie. They're a lie created by marketing companies and social scientists who want to have a bestseller. They're a fucking lie. And they ignore a whole bunch of other topics, uh, such as race and uh, gender identity, and uh, just literally in culture, uh, cultural shifts and, and immigration and everything. Generations are a lie. However, they are somewhat valuable when we talk about the common experiences of a certain age of people, about being a certain age when a certain thing happened. Um, and I think there is something interesting about the conversation. Uh, with the fact that these people are younger and their formative years learning about sex is explicitly tied to the very nature of their mortality. Um, but I didn't want to talk about that. I, I want to talk about more general mortality as opposed to specifically, you know, the AIDS e- epidemic and um, learning about sex at the same time you're learning about having sex can kill you. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was most of my yeah, uh, sex ed class was, same. hey, uh, you're going to have, uh, if you have sex, uh, you're probably you going to get, get AIDS. You will get pregnant and you will die. Yeah. Um, thanks, Mean Girls. Uh, but I, it's a very culturally uh, and age group specific experience and I, I think it does tie into this a little bit so i wanted to, i wanted to acknowledge it but it wasn't really the thing i was most interested in. i was more interested in the the broader less specific uh, ideas about uh, mortality arthur um i you, you want to talk about detroit and i'm so fucking excited to hear you talk about it yeah uh what i want to offer up is a variation on the second most accepting reading of this film which is that fear of the ever encroaching death uh it's a look at mortality which is what dalton was breaking uh, down uh, what I would suggest is that the specter that follows uh, does represent the passage of time and the slowly marching Grim Reaper, uh, but it also represents many of the societal fears of living in what was once one of our greatest cities, uh, which has devolved into a modern dystopia. It follows takes place in the suburban setting outside of Detroit. 
Our setting here is painted as very white, upper middle class. Uh, we have five white leads who seem uh, to not have any sort of adult supervision. Jay mentions her mother in passing a few times, and we even see her at one point, but she doesn't move, doesn't respond. Uh, she just sits at her table. Uh, this is a parent who is detached. And similarly, we only see Greg's mom once, and even in that moment, it is the specter mimicking her to trick Greg. Uh, the absent parents here are of the generation that would have been born in Detroit's heyday in the late 60s to early 70s. Throughout the 60s, Detroit had grown into the fourth largest city in the U.S. with a population of nearly one and a half to two million people. In 2013, the city filed for bankruptcy and now boasts a population of just over 700,000 people. In many ways, it has become the film depicted in all of those dystopian stories we love from the 80s and early 90s. Uh, it's the Detroit of the Crow, and Robocop is the Detroit of today. Uh, pundit James Moreland describes it as a war-torn city and offers this look into Motor City. This former powerhouse is a barren stretch of land devastated by looters and full of run-down vacant houses. Rows upon rows of dilapidated structure line the streets. Empty apartment buildings and factories consume the landscape. Almost a third of Detroit has been abandoned. The specter that follows Jay is not new. It is not originated within the diegetic time frame we are given. It already exists in Meteoray. We don't know how old it is or when it began. What we do know is that it is targeting a generation of people who were born in the 90s, and it looms over their head in much the same way life must loom over the head of those trying to survive and make a life for themselves in modern Detroit. The teens must keep moving forward so as to escape this torment. When the specter takes the form of Jay's father, uh, we get an even more cemented look at the symbolism, the struggle of generations. We don't know why Jay's father has died or is gone, uh, but it would explain the despondency of her mother. It would also explain the very independent nature by which Jay and her sister exist. In the pool sequence, an object that feeds the mortality narrative because of its representation of summers and family experience, and therefore childhood and innocence, Jay finally thinks... Jay finally thinks that she can put the past away and move forward. The film gives us something of an ambiguous ending. Uh, there seems to be a plan to try and spread this so-called disease as far as they can uh, by having Paul uh, seemingly sleep with prostitutes. Yet we end up with a sense of dread as Paul and Jay may be getting followed. This entire final sequence reiterates the sense of dread we've grown accustomed to over the course of the film. The physical specter and representation of this city's tragic past continues to spread, and it continues to lord over our characters. There is nothing happy about these final moments. Uh, these characters are in a state of desperation, trying to find a glimmer of hope to hang on to, uh, much like the city itself. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Where do the hookers come from? Holy shit, I love that. Paul's driving around the city. He yeah, goes to a corner and there are prostitutes. Oh, yeah, he goes oh and my a God. To like, I fucking diverge it a little bit. forgot about that, and I guess I was doing something else during that segment of this the, the film this time I watched it. Yeah. Holy shit. That is a good idea. Good idea. See? See? Writhing, writhing. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I'm going to take a bit of a detour from what I had planned at this point uh, because of just stuff that's gone on in course of analysis today. But I do want to talk about sort of capitalism, and I want to talk about the sort of divergence from the real issues because I think that's what this film is doing uh, to piggyback off some of the things that Arthur is saying is that these kids are all suburban kids, and they've moved at past 8 Mile, and they have done these things to sort of avoid uh, some of the inner city struggles and turmoils that are going 
on because of the uh, the collapse of late capitalism in Detroit, the automotive industry, workers' unions, etc., and the sort of economic depression that that big that area of the uh, of the country is beginning to suffer and suffer in really catastrophic kind of ways. And so, what happens in in terms of what's going on with capitalist struggle for workers? Because these are all middle class kids. Um, they're all middle class kids, the descendants of middle class families, and they are placed in a situation in which all that economic deprivation is barking at their doors, encroaching on their area. And the the use of these really, really long shots and wide shots uh, that are used uh, to just show the sort of the desolation of the areas, uh, even suburban areas surrounding Detroit, the fact that it seems to me that Hugh is, um, you know, fake Hugh, is a kid from the city who's bringing sort of his trouble there. Um, Paul's attempt to bring that sort of city trouble back into the city uh, by the use of a prostitute and all those sort of things is a way to sort of uh, ameliorate and and, and sort of... to, to hide some of the problems that they're enduring. And what happens uh, w- w- in terms of sexuality um, is that in a situation in which you are being uh, alienated, in which a, a citizenry is uh, being deprived of the, the fruit of their labor, their, their wage slaves, and all those other sort of, you know, sort of Marxist terms that we might use to describe uh, the, the conditions under capitalism, what happens is uh, opiates are used by the people in order to sort of avoid those conversations and one of those opiates is sexual morality uh, questions of that there I think there's a real intentional purpose perhaps not intentional uh, but there's a real sort of useful purpose of the messy mythology of this film that Dalton was talking about just a little while ago because it becomes a question of are you a virgin or are you not? Did you do it or did you not? If, mm-hmm. if you get yeah. a blowy, does it count? If you get a hand job, does it count? Mm-hmm. If it's girl and girl, does it count? Is it gay if it's a three-way? All of those sort of things become strange It gets a little questions. gray when you're in a three-way. And, and, and that is really the sort of way of avoiding a real conversation. That sort of stuff matters far less, far less than, uh, again, rectifying the situation in which all of the human beings that are living in that neighborhood, whether they're involved in the conversation or not, whether they're across the street watching stuff going on at the neighbors' houses, again, morality questions and judgment questions mm-hmm. as as to what they're doing, all of that stuff is 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 absolutely secondary, tertiary, and it's absolutely irrelevant to the question of we're in a situation in which we're being exploited and we should do something about that exploitation. And this opiate usage of morality is a way of avoiding the real questions. And so the the questions that suburban kids are facing is not, hey, how are we going to find jobs? How are we going to find a way to make a living? How are we going to find a way that's equitable and fair and just for our life and living for ourselves and our children that are better for our own parents? Rather, we're going to have a question of, you know, I don't know if it counts because I'm not sure if this person's slutty or this person's hoary or this person's this or this person's that because they did this thing with that person. It's all a conversation about who did what with whom and whether or not that counts. And that's malarkey. 
um, compared to the real conversation that's going on. And what it does is it perpetuates the sort of stain that a human being might carry because of a choice in terms of sexuality. And this goes back to things I was making in commentary to what Alex was saying earlier. You are not defined by your past sexual acts. You are not defined by what's happened to you, the choices you have made. You, Those are not the things that determine who you are as a human being. And those who seek to do that sort of thing are doing so in order to provide a smokescreen for the things that are really dehumanizing human beings and the things that really need to be taken care of. Racial inequality, uh, economic inequality, uh, just as the sort of uh, cycles of poverty and things that really need to be taken care of. And those things are far more important and far more significant. And I'm, I know I'm on my pulpit right now. No, I'm care. so into it right now. Take me to church, preacher. Uh, but this is not okay. And I'm not all right with that sort of thing. And what the film does with its messy mythology is raise those questions. Now, again, I don't, I'm not entirely convinced that the director is doing this on purpose and it's not just messy screenwriting to start with, but the messiness itself helps us see a thing in which we, uh, we, we sort of messily define. Well, and that's, uh, you know, we say messy mythology. It's not a, it's messy is not used as a pejorative. It's not a, a, a net bad because it can open up avenues that you would not have thought to go down in the first place. Precisely. Yeah, absolutely. And and the the question that I begin to raise is why do we spend so much time with that messiness when clearly the material circumstances of the human beings that are there is part of what's perpetuating the problem in the first place and that we sort of conjure up these ghosts uh, to avoid talking about the real issues and the real problems at hand. And if nothing else, I think it follows becomes a powerful film because it's illustrative of this sort of smoke screening opiate usage or whatever you want to use um, as far as your terminology goes to avoid real problems and real circumstances and really making genuine change in society. All right. Well, there you go, dear listener. We have done some analysis, I think, today. God damn, we have. Yeah. Delivered. I'm there, so happy to be back. There, there was a show that happened. So we come now to a point in our show we must render a verdict regarding the film It Follows. We must render it to the shelf or to the trash and then recommend our else's or instead's based on that recommendation. Since we went clockwise last time, why don't we just go counterclockwise? I'm just mixing it up. Arthur Gordon, shelf or trash, else or instead? I'm going to say shelf. I, I think it's super solid. It's easy to watch horror movie, and I think it's going to find itself into many fans' Halloween rotations. Uh, else, I'm going to say Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, The Shining, and The the Ring. Also, movies set in Detroit are pretty good, so let's just rattle off 8 Mile, The Crow, Lost River, and RoboCop. Very well done, sir. I appreciate that very much. Mr. Dalton Stewart, Shelf for Trash, Shelf for Instead, go! Uh, yeah, no, it's totally shelfable. I think it's a very solid uh, horror film. I think it is going to continue to be talked about for years to come. I, I think it is, it, it's one of those films you watch and you go, this is an instant classic. Like, this movie is important and we're going to keep talking about it. Um, I am going to recommend some other horror movies that are either explicitly or implicitly about sex. Um, one of which we've talked about the show, and the other two I hope we do someday. Uh, that is Jennifer's Body, uh, written by Diablo Cody, and I forgot who yeah. directed it, but yeah, all about that sex. Um, the John Landis masterwork, American Werewolf in London, which is both explicitly and implicitly about sex, uh, and a film that's uh, less explicitly about sex, but also a lot about relationships and mortality, um, some things we've talked about here. Uh, the G- uh, Jim Jarmusch film Only Lovers Left Alive, mm-hmm. which is oh, a film that perfect. I like a whole, whole lot. And Dustin and I actually watched that together uh, the year it was released. Aww. Arthur, um, 
I, I pine for the days of the show when we use different outro music because I'm just wishing we could use Eight Mile Road this week. Um, <laughs> I really need to let's let's watch Eight Mile after everybody else leaves. Will you do that with me? No. Okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for that. And Another for that time. Rejection, Mr. Arthur Gordon, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I appreciate you very much, Ms. Alexander Bohannon. What do you say? Shelver trash elsewhere instead? Oh, definitely Shelver. I don't own it yet, but I will. Um, I think this is an instant watchable classic every Halloween. So I'm going to recommend. Um, some female-led horror movies. Yeah, I was gonna do Jennifer's Body because that I that was like one of the films I f- thought of right after. It's killer man. Yeah, and it, literally such uh, an underrated movie. It really is. Uh, so Jennifer's Body. I'm also gonna recommend Carrie, um, the old version. You don't need to see that remake shit. Definitely not. I'm also gonna re- recommend The Guest because it, besides the shared lead actress, it also it is kind of your throwback, your throwback '80s style, ambiguous. Uh, ambiguous timeline era type movie which I really enjoy excellent thank you very much for that Miss Alexander Bohannon I also say shelf I also say things that have already been said I say the crow I also say only lovers left alive and uh, then I say watch it follows a lot only lovers left alive is in Chicago right is where's Detroit. It I thought it was in Detroit. It's also Detroit. in Detroit, Detroit. actually. Because that Money. house is derelict. Money. I just remembered it is also Detroit. I didn't even think Oh, about that's that. why I oh, thought that's the not connection. Said it? No, I was talking about sex and love. Oh, oh no. I was like sex and, and love and Detroit. Yeah, fucking A. That should be Detroit's there. slogan. And then finally, as Arthur mentioned, <laughs> Lost River, I think is definitely, definitely worth your time and worth checking out. That's Check the, out that's, all that's those the movies. flick that... Uh, Baba Goose directed, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That would be Ryan Gosling, who is actually only eight days younger than me. Well, Baba Goose. I'm disgusted in all the things. <laughs> yeah, he's so much sexier than you. Are. I know. I, 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 that's <laughs> very insulting. I, well, it's also accurate. There's plenty. So of, it's, it's fine. There's plenty of 26 year olds that are way sexier than I am. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I know. Pretty much all of them. Most uh, of them. Moving right along, though, um, guys, uh, we are continuing to roll down the Shocktober horror train. Boop, boop. Yeah. Boop. <laughs> and, and I get a host. The season pick. of The Witch continues, and we give our thanks. And I, no. get, I get to pick a movie. I'm so glad you. Uh, I'm so happy when your host pick happens during Shocktober. I like the scary. And <laughs> I also like the show, The Faculty of Horror. I also am a fan of one Miss Alexandra West and her recent book on the new French God extremity. God damn it. And therefore, God damn it. I am recommending and uh, suggesting and selecting. I'm not suggesting. I am ordering and uh, unilaterally deciding that we're going to watch the film Martyrs. God damn it. I have no, no, no. <laughs> I have not wanted to watch this movie for yeah. so long. You're welcome. Fuck you. <laughs> I'm, I'm not happy about I'm so it either. Mad. It's okay. Because you know what's really I am important. tweeting Alex West right now. Why did you do this to me, this baby? This is your fault, Alex. It is kind of, yeah, a little bit. Oh, so God. blame her. Uh, be- Thanks for the book, Alex. Yeah, You're very it's a good, smart, it's but... pretty good. Um, anyway, we're going to be taking a look at the film Martyrs, and we're going to take a look at lots and lots and lots and lots of horror films over the course of, the, of October. But here's the thing, guys. It's about the conversation. It's not about what's going on on the screen. It's about what's going on behind the screens, what's going on inside the screens, what's going on between the lines, or rather between the frames of the celluloid or digital photography that we're talking about. It's about that conversation. That's what we're all about having here at the Good Trash Media Network, and we are all about providing all the conversation for you 
we possibly can. So if you want to check out more things about what's coming out now in the cinemas, check out Back to the Movies. If you want to look through the Hitchcock filmography, check out the cast who knew too much. If you're interested in books, check out Spineless, our little, little limited series podcast is going on right now. If you're interested in the conversation people have about their own personal experience with the films, check out the People's History of Film. All of those things are available to you all at the Good Trash Media Network. Take a look at that. Keep watching. We'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. The Good Trash Genre Cast is produced and edited by Arthur Gordon. Direction by Dustin Sells. Social media by Alexandra Bohannon, Caleb Masters, and Dalton Stewart. Our intro and outro is Night Call by Kavinsky and Lovebox. We are also proud to feature music from Deer Kick this week on the program. For more information on this episode of the Good Trash Genre Cast, as well as the rest of the Good Trash Media family, please visit goodtrashmedia.com.